now entering a new series uh, of sermons called Modern Family Vintage Values. Modern Family Vintage Values. Genesis chapter 1, 20, verse 26 says, Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have your seat. Before we get into this, parents, uh, we will be talking about physical intimacy. It'll be rated PG at worst. Uh, but I do want to forewarn you so that if you have little children that you think will be best off in uh, bridge kids, that's fine. If you have teenagers that you think would be best off uh, not in here uh, for this part, for this sermon, um, they can go and help be assistance with the bridge kids. Again, my son is here. Um, he's going to stay in here, so maybe that gives you an idea of how far we'll go, but um, we do want to talk about, or, or how far we won't go, I guess, uh, but I do want to give that uh, qualification there. Modern family, vintage values. The word of God is timeless. Though it was not written to us, it has been written for us. And if we want God's blessings over our families, then we're going to have to do it God's way. If we want to know how if we want God to bless our family, if we want to know how our family can operate according to the will of God, we cannot go based off human philosophy or the culture. We must, church, go back to the beginning. Because how God designed it in the beginning, prior to Genesis chapter 3, is how God desired and designed for life to be. 
So look with me now as we look first at the vintage values that we find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. As we look at these few verses, the first thing that jumps off the text is the creativity of God. Look together with me at the creativity of God. All of Genesis 1 demonstrates the creative power of God. The, the Bible opens by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the sun, the moon, the stars. He created the oceans, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the plants, the trees. God did it all. It required no physical labor on his part. All he had to do was speak, and it was so. Friends, there is power in God's word. When he speaks, things, he, order comes from chaos. Chaos is turned into order. You want order over your family or order in your life? I dare you to get in God's word. The reason chaos exists is because man and woman listen to the word of Satan rather than the word of God. That's in two more weeks. Come back. I'll get it for you. All of creation, friend, testifies to the existence of God. On day number six, God does his best work. God speaks to himself, and he says, let us make man in our image. I don't have time to deal with this, but you're probably wondering, why in the world would God speak to himself and say, let us? Some have said that it's the dialogue of self-deliberation. For instance, for instance, uh, when, when I'm thinking about something, uh, I, I'm thinking about how am I going to get Connie to stop spending my money? I say to myself, I need more than that. I need a miracle. He's the God of miracles. Amen. I say to myself, hmm, let's see. I'm speaking to myself, but I say, let us see. So that's what they're talking about when it's deliberation. Yeah, maybe. I think... When God is speaking, he's speaking to the fullness of himself. We see the full, all of the Godhead involved in creation. In the beginning, God. That's God the Father. What does God the Father do? He speaks and he said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. So we see the word. The Son, Jesus Christ, involved in creation. The New Testament tells us that God creates. It was through the agency of the Son, and he is holding all things together. So we've got the God the Father. We've got God the Son. But then this verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1, I believe, says that the Spirit was hovering. So we see the Spirit of God. God also involved in creation. So when God says, let us, he's talking to all of himself. He says, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, let's all get involved in this thing, and let's make man in our image. Okay, okay. So verse 26, 27, God speaks to himself, says, let us make man. And, and as we look at verse 27, we see God creating man. God says, let's do it. Verse 27 says, he did it. 
The creation church of man shows the greatness, the grandeur, and the creativity of God. The fact that man was created by God means that we owe our existence to him. Let's try that again. The fact that man was created by God means that we owe our existence to him. Now, I know, I know, this may seem very basic and elementary. However, the truth is, most of us don't live like we know this. If we were introspective and honest enough, many of us would have to say that we are living for ourselves and not for God. Yes, I know you're a believer. I know you show up to church most Sundays. I know you even serve in the church. But when you leave this sacred space, we get focused back on ourselves. We, we, We act as if the world revolves around us. Genesis shows us, however, that we were not made for ourselves. We were made for God. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 7 says, we were created for his glory. Our purpose is to spread the the fame of God throughout the entire universe. And what we have to wrestle with today, church, is are we living for our glory or God's glory? Since We are the creation of God. What then do we owe God? Simple. We owe him worship and service. Watch this. Not just on Sundays, but every day of the week, we owe our existence to him. I point this out because I think many of us are in bondage today. I don't know how much of a free worshiper we really are. What are we in bondage to, Brandon? We are in bondage to ourselves. We have made idols of ourselves. We are guilty of self-worship. We, we've come up with the idea that the ultimate end of man is for us to be happy. A few years ago, one of the most popular songs was Because I'm happy. We've made happiness the ultimate end. But happiness, friends, was never the purpose of our creation. Happiness is a byproduct of living under the will of God. It is not the goal. And when we realize that we live for him and we owe our existence to him, it is liberating. It it frees us from the tyranny of the urgent. It frees us from being a part of this rat race. It sets us free from trying to keep up with the rest of society. It's liberating. So God is our creator. And notice this before we move on to our next point, that the Bible solves the argument for explaining where man came from. Let me say that again. The Bible 
solves the argument for the explanation of the origin of man. Man is not the result of an evolutionary process. He, he, we are not descendants of apes. There, there's no survival of the fittest. The clear and plain teaching of the Bible is that man is the innovation of God. We see the creative power of God. But not only do we see the creativity of God, now we see the identity of man. Look with me secondly at the identity of man. Verse 26, 27 says that man was made in the image of God. The word image is used in the Bible and ancient Near Eastern texts to refer to statues or idols. It refers to some physical representation. What is man's identity? Man is God's representative on the earth. So then the question is, in what ways then do we image God? In what ways do we mirror God? In what ways do we, let me see, represent, no, 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 no. In what ways do we represent God? I think it's multifaceted. A lot of ink has been spilled on trying to determine the image of God and man. And I'm just going to take all of them. I think uh, we image God Physically, we have eyes to see, ears to hear. Hold your bearings. I haven't lost my theology. I know God does not have eyes. I know God does not have ears. But anthropomorphically speaking, keep up with me now. Anthropomorphic is a big old word that means giving human attributes to God. Yes, I know that, but what, it, but what it shows us, the fact that we have eyes and ears means that we, we must then have a God who sees all of our pain and all of our hurt. We have a God who hears our faintest cries. The image of God, we, we see it physically, but not only do we see it physically, but we also see it personally. In other words, we see it in our personality. Most people say Personality is defined by three things, intellect, emotion, and will. We have intellect. We are logical creatures. We have the capacity to know and to learn. God is the most intelligent person there is. We share that. Now, we're not as, as intellectual as God. Don't get me wrong. But we have the ability to be logical creatures. Not only do we have intellect, but we also have emotion. Like God has emotion. By the way, emotions are not necessarily always bad things. They are part of us being in the image of God. God loves. God also hates. God can be pleased. God can get angry. 
You can grieve God. We share emotions. We, God has put those in us as well. We have intellect, we have emotion, and we have will, volition. We, we are able to make choices, decisions. Every day, we're faced with the choice to either obey or disobey. All those things together make up personhood, personality. So the image of God bears itself physically, personally, but I also think it, it refers to how we interact socially. God is relational. We were created for relationships. How do I know God is relational? By the way, before we get here, the Bible never says that God created man because he was lonely. God did not create you because he was lonely. God, before man was ever created, before the angels were ever created, and they are created beings, by the way, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. It's only in the Godhead that the Son can be as old as the Father. And guess what they did? They were all, uh, they fulfilled the needs of one another because the, the Bible teaches that they were all glorifying one another. God was never lonely, so that is not why he created you. He created you to serve him. He created you to establish his kingdom on the earth. So, th so don't be, don't, I don't want, because this, this is out there. Yeah, God created us because he was lonely. What, what God need from us? Okay, that was free. That's not even in my manuscript. God is relational. How do we know that? Because he exists in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like that, we bear the image of God by living in community. No man is a lone ranger. You were designed for community. How does that bear itself out? God gives us family. God gives us friends. God gives us spouses. God gives us a church. The fact that God created, uh, that we were created in the image of God means we rep represent God on the earth. No other part of creation is said to be made in the image of God. This characteristic belongs to man and man alone. Friends, this is what distinguishes us from all other living creatures. Let me give you three implications from this idea of man being made in the uh, image of God. Number one, the implication of dignity. Dignity. That word dignity means worth or worthy of respect, honor, valuable. The fact that man is created in the image of God means that every 
human being is a dignified creature. He is endowed with dignity from his creator. Dignity is inherent, which means that you don't give dignity to anybody. We're created with it. Dr. John Perkins says, you don't give dignity to people, you only affirm the dignity that's already there. The idea of dignity has enormous implications for our views concerning the sanctity of human life. Being pro-life is a theological necessity and a Christian must. Genesis chapter 9 verse 6 says, Whoever sheds human blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. Now, let's have some fun. Let's see if I can make Democrats and Republicans mad at me this morning. I can't wait for the emails. The dignity of man means that abortion is an evil against both God and man. And we've, we've done a pretty good job of telling the world that we are anti-abortion. Rightly so, but sometimes we don't tell it well. I want to say this. If you are here today and you've had an abortion, I want to share with you the gospel. That even the sin of of abortion is a forgivable sin. Jesus died for that sin just as well. And if you had an abortion, God extends his love to you this morning. Repent and trust in Jesus Christ. You will be saved. If you are saved and had an abortion, God says, I can forgive even that sin. Now, not only does it refer to abortion, the the dignity of means that murder is an abhorrent to God and deserves due punishment. Now, let's see if I can make some more people mad at me. That was kind of the Democratic side of things. Let me get my conservatives now. The dignity of man does not end at birth. Thank you. Let me say that again. The dignity of man does not end at birth. I cringe when I hear this term pro-life in political discussion. I think it's a misleading term. You can disagree with me, by the way. What politicians really mean when they say they are pro-life, they really mean they're pro-birth. Oftentimes, we as Christians, rightly so, we fight tooth and nail for the government to be involved in getting babies out of the womb, but then once they're here, we say, well, the government needs to stay out of people's business and pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Pro-life church means we affirm the dignity of individuals from the womb to the tomb. We, we, We are big on individual responsibility. 
but we don't address the systemic injustice in the world and even in our own country. And since the system has a responsibility to the injustice and the oppression of people, the system has a responsibility to right that injustice. Giving people a hand up is not the same as a hand out. I think giving people a hand up is what Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. The dignity of men also affects how we see and treat the poor, the disabled, the elderly, the homeless. It should affect our views on assisted suicide. Church, we honor God by honoring those created in his image. Now, all the Democrats are going to leave here thinking I'm a Republican. And all the Republicans are going to leave here thinking I'm a Democrat. I can't win. I'm a child of God. And the Bible determines my politics. Not only does the identity of man being image bearers of God speak to the dignity of man, it also speaks to the equality of both man and woman. Church, both man and woman are created in the image of God. Male and female are equal in God's eyes. The female in God's creation is never inferior to man. She equally bears the image of God. And church, when women are not treated equally in our society as it pertains to her image bearing, we should all be offended and fight to correct this injustice. Dignity, equality, but then... Let's talk about sexuality. Last line of verse 27 says, male and female, he created them. How did he create them? Male and female. By sexuality, I'm referring to gender. Your sexuality is a gift from God. And the Bible makes it clear that there are only two sexes that God created. And he created those two sexes for a reason. One of the things that hurts my heart is to see a, a, a young lady dressed and carry herself like a man and for a man to switch his hips like he's a woman. I think this is a perversion to God's creation. When it comes to gender identification, I learned this just a little while ago, that there's now the cue for questioning. Listen, they, man, they done took the whole alphabet from us. LGBTQ, ABC, HNJ. When it comes to gender identification, people now identify as questions. The, the Bible makes it clear that there are no questions about sexuality. You are either male or you are female. How God created you is how God wanted you. It's his gift. Now, let me say a couple of things about this, because I want to be sensitive to those who do actually struggle. It is a struggle.
for individuals when it comes to gender identity. I think it is a result of the fall. It's because of sin that we have, remember, chaos. That's the issue. A lot of times people say, why are you trying to change me or, or whatever? I was born this way. And I've gotten to the point now where I don't argue. I don't make that argument anymore. Because the argument could be made, you were born that way because the Bible says you were born in sin. Shaping in iniquity. The good news is that Jesus says you can be born again. Yes, sir. Thank you. Maybe you were born with that sin struggle, that sin tendency. But Jesus says, I've overcome sin, the world, Satan, and everything else. And I can make you a brand new creation in Jesus Christ. We see... Man, church, let me tell you this. I really want to be sensitive here. I'm making some strong statements because I believe I'm standing on the word of God. But at the same time, I want to be sensitive and extend the gospel to everybody. We cannot make light of individual sin struggles. Some some people struggle with uh, same-sex attraction, homosexuality, uh, uh, gender confusion. We struggle with... uh, Mm, uh, lying, cheating, stealing, backbiting. The same hope that it is for this group of sins is the same hope there is for these people. In this text, we see the creativity of God. We see the identity of man. We, and then now, we, God also says, I'm going to give you the activity of man. Let's look at the activity of man. Verse 28. text says, And God Bless them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The first thing that God says is the activity of man and woman is to reproduce. Y'all didn't say amen on that one. What do you mean? He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. In other words, their task is to procreate. They ought to have some babies. We don't struggle with that at this church. Lord, y'all won't stop. (laughs) In other words, God says, birth more image bearers that will glorify me. couple of things that this verse affirms. Number one, it affirms that sex is a gift from God. I thought more men would have my back on that one. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to give you a chance. Sex is a gift from God. Amen. Yo, maybe, you were, <laughs> maybe you were hesitant to say amen because it becomes such a taboo topic in the church. Y'all, this is what God gave us. We shout about eternal life. I'm shouting about sex too. Because it's a gift from God. We should use it, enjoy it, and use it for his glory. Now, I realize that now that we live in a sinful world, sex is abused. Sex trafficking, pornography, prostitution, 
However, the beginning says, it's my gift so that you can reproduce, multiply. Let me see if I can uh, add to that sentence. Sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed between one man and one woman. The primary purpose of sex is procreation. I don't know about you, but I think my understanding of it is two men cannot procreate. Two women cannot procreate. The text 28, verse 28 starts with this, and God blessed them. How did he bless them? He told them to be fruitful and multiply. Sex is a blessing when it's enjoyed God's way. When we have sex outside of what God has blessed, then it becomes a curse. What do you mean it becomes a curse? Fatherless children. Sexually transmitted diseases. Illegitimate children. Because we are using God's gift outside of the bounds of which he blessed it. I got, let me add some more to this. Sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed between one man and one woman. By the way, I was speaking to a young man, and he was struggling with this, honestly, and, and I appreciated his struggle. And he said he, he um, was a little more, had a little more mm, liberal view on homosexuality. And he was just saying, I, don't, I just don't understand with two people loving one another. Uh, well, it's a little more complex than that because essentially when we talk about homosexuality, two men uh, having physical intimacy or two women uh, having physical intimacy, what's the purpose of sex? We have to go back to that. Procreation. See, here's the problem again. We want to take some, one of God's gifts that's supposed to be used for his glory and we want to make the end of that gift our own happiness and enjoyment. That's the problem with it. He gave us these gifts for a reason. All right, sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed between one man and one woman. I got some more. In marriage. Sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed between one man and one woman in marriage. The Bible makes it clear that only the marriage bed is undefiled. Friends and parents, you may have to help your children here. The sexual act is the consummation of a covenant agreement. Marriage, according to the Bible, is a covenant. Every time there's a covenant in Scripture, the Bible says, we, our, our translations say make a covenant, but in the Bible, the, the way it's translated in the Hebrew is you cut a covenant. You will cut an animal, blood will be shed, the individuals will stand between the animals saying, this is the covenant that has been made and may our fate be of this animal if one of us doesn't keep it. Once we start seeing marriage as a covenant, as a cutting of a covenant, maybe we won't be so quick to have a divorce. 
it, it hurts my heart that the marriage rate in the church is the same that it is in the world. It's a covenant. Now, that covenant can be broken. There are biblical reasons to uh, have a divorce. That ain't this sermon, but I'll get it to you. But it's a covenant. The old covenant was sealed by blood. The new covenant was sealed by blood. We just did it. Communion. Jesus said, this is the new covenant of my blood. The marriage covenant is sealed by blood. When a woman loses her virginity, the hymen is broken and blood is shed. That's why. That's the seal of the covenant of marriage. And church and friends, that's why you ought to wait to engage in sex. Let me tell you this. this that is waiting is one of the best gifts you can give to your spouse. And I'm telling you that from somebody who messed up and didn't do it right. The one thing that I wish I would have done is waited for my spouse. My spouse would say the same thing. The one thing I wish I would have done is waited to give you this gift. Y'all can just do the math. You can see me and Cunny didn't wait. But it's not that much of, of news. Now, to those of us who didn't do it according to the blessing of God, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Another implication of, the, of this text, He's, God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. What's the implication? Motherhood is a gift from God. Every one of us in here should be grateful for mothers. We ought to celebrate mothers in our lives. On the other hand, as believers, we all the more ought to embrace procreation. In other words, if God has given you the ability to bear children, have some babies. One of the most selfish, and I'm going to be strong here, one of the most selfish and saddest things I hear is young individuals say, I never want to have children. Having babies is a part of God's instruction from creation. Now, I am aware that barrenness of the barrenness of some women. And to that, I can only sympathize, be sensitive to that, and still say, God cares for you, God loves you, and you can still carry out your creative purpose because there's still more that God says he wants us to do. Motherhood should be embraced and enjoyed. To give a woman an advice that her priority 
should be work outside of the home rather than being a mother is not sound doctrine. I am not demonizing working outside the home. You look at Proverbs 31 woman, that excellent woman, she worked outside the home. Read it sometime. But the priority should always be motherhood, home. Woo! It's a tough crowd now. Y'all had me on the beginning. By the way, another, this is just free. This is just free. God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. These people that are concerned about over your population, you're wasting your time. <laughs> God's got that covered. It's a part of the cultural mandate. Fill the earth. All right, Lord, you take care of the rest. Man is to reproduce. Not only is man to reproduce, the text says man is also to rule. See, Beyonce had it wrong when she, when she asked the question, who ruled the world? Girls. It was on TV. I don't listen to Beyonce. <laughs> Intentionally, at least. She did it on, at the Super Bowl. The biblical answer is who rules the world? All of God's creation. Man and woman, humankind, I did, we have been instructed to have dominion. Our responsibility as humans are to be God's kings and queens on the earth. I think part of this goes back to uh, uh, the identity part. You are royal in God's eyes. The earth and the heavens make up the kingdom of God. On earth, humans are the, uh, the administrators of God's earthly kingdom. We are to be representatives of the rule of God on the earth. Now, this verse, I want to teach you a, 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 a term, a theological term. This verse is called the cultural mandate. In other words, our job, our task, our responsibility as human beings is to make culture. We are cultural Culture makers. What do you mean we are culture makers? Well, we make culture through our music, through science, building cities, architecture, engineering, education, technology. That's all culture making. The question is not whether we ought to make culture or not. The true question is what kind of culture will we make? Will we make one that glorifies God or glorifies ourselves? Will we create a culture that is good or one that is evil? Now, what is the means through which God says to create culture? Marriage. The family. Here's my point. The purpose of marriage, according to our text, in Genesis chapter 1, 
is procreation and ruling. You thought you were supposed to get married because you was in love. If I can fall in love, I can fall out of love too. Marriage has a greater purpose than you just loving somebody. Matter of fact, in the Bible, Titus 2 says the older women had to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. The purpose of marriage was never each individual's own happiness. Men, the purpose of marriage is not for you to be able to have sex on demand. I've heard it. I've thought it. The purpose of marriage is to glorify God by caring for his creation and establishing his rule here on the earth. My wife is, is my helpmate. She, she helps me create culture. She's helping me uh, establish God's rule here on earth. As we do that, we will grow to love one another more. As we operate in, under God's will, we will be happy. The problem today is that we've made the benefit the goal. The benefit of marriage, uh, uh, according to God's will, is happiness. That is not the goal. I have family members that have gotten divorces. You ask them why, they say, well, I wasn't happy. That's not the goal. That's the benefit. You get free marriage counseling on Mother's Day. You're welcome. Go get them bags, pass an offering for the pastor. <laughs> I, I, I want us as a church to know that there is a greater reason for marriage, and it's not your own happiness. It's not even so that you can have enough money. Two people, where I'm from, two people would get married back in the day because she needed help paying her bills. That's not a marriage, that's a merger. It's a contract, not a covenant. I'm passionate about this because marriage is holy. It was instituted by God and we've corrupted it so much. To where all it is, is for our own benefit. And God says, it's here for my glory. All right. Final implication, and then we'll be done. Third implication of this, create, of, of this cultural mandate is that creation has been placed into our stewardship. Oh, man, here we go again. We are stewards, managers of the earth. We are to care for God's creation. 
It is our responsibility to preserve and protect the earth. We're not to harm the earth. We're to maintain it. We don't leave it as it is. Think about it. They were put in the garden. Their job was to cultivate it, to till it. They didn't just leave it as it is. They developed it. What's, what's, what's the application from that, Brandon? Well, for me, it starts with me just taking care of my yard better. Don't drive by my house. <laughs> Cutting the lawn, watering it. That's God's creation. It may affect, I don't even know why I put this in the sermon because I don't know how it works, carbon emissions. It may mean not littering. It may mean going green if you can afford it. It may mean designing and and developing buildings that are ecologically sensitive. But creation care is a part of God's instructions from the very beginning. The only way we can carry out this today is because everything we do is is contaminated with sin. The only way we can do this is by receiving, trusting in the greatest culture maker ever, Jesus Christ. He is the perfect image of God. New Testament says he's the icon of God. Those of you who understand the term exegesis, exegesis, exegesis means to read out of. When I, when I study, I'm doing exegesis. When I go to the Greek text, that's exegesis. I'm taking the original and see what it really means. Jesus is the exegesis of God. Want to know God? Look at Jesus. We've, everything we do now is contaminated with sin. But Jesus is the one who has dealt with our sin, not in part, but in whole. Thank you.